I'm Tara Beckett, and I want to welcome you back to season two of Let Perfect Burn. My guest today is comedian Antonia Lazar, who self-identifies as 60% Jewish, 30% chronic illness, and 10% bisexual chaos. And recently, their stand-up addressed embracing the term disabled. Antonia says, prior to this, I was like, yes, I'm exhausted all of the time. Yes, when I lie down, I choke on my own stomach acid. Yes, I don't poop. But that's not because I'm sick. I was like, that's because I am morally inferior. This got a big laugh from her audience. Before coming to L.A. to focus on their career as a comedian, Antonia toured college campuses addressing sexual assault with their work post-traumatic Super Delightful. Antonia is a victim of sexual assault, and they utilize comedy to challenge the expectations of the survivor. She says a lot of my work really dives into this critique of our expectations of the perfect survivor. In their interview, Antonia takes us through the challenging and sometimes devastating path to create art after falling apart. She says, suddenly my body totally broke down and it was, to me, a message from the heavens being like, all right, this has gone on long enough. You're literally killing your body at this point. You need to get your art back together. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Let Perfect Burn. I'm Tara Beckett, and I'm so glad you're here again. Um, With me today is Antonia Lazar. And I really wanted to have Antonia on this show because I found her on Instagram. And she listed herself as a comedian, a hottie, uh, with her content being 50% Jewish, 40% chronic illness, and 10% bisexual chaos. So I just need to know more, Antonia. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite an intro. So can you give us a sense of who you are? Isn't it helpful just to have a mission statement that (laughs) gives percentages of your personality? (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, that's how I like to lead. So, so yeah, I mean, it's exactly what it is. I'm a comedian, and I'm and I'm extremely hot, and um, <laughs> and and yeah, right now, I mean, I have these topic areas that I'm very excited about, and especially on social media, they really reward you if you have a niche. So I'm more than these things, but on social media, I do a lot of I make a lot of Jewish comedy and <laughs> I am obviously Jewish um and I make a lot of chronic illness content too I would love to make even more because I am chronically ill but um the Jewish stuff gets rewarded by the algorithm right now and I'm playing that game a little bit <laughs> <laughs> and and then I'm bisexual, so you know it's it's chaotic and and who knows what what's going to happen ten percent of the time. So Antonia, I would love for you to talk about you know when you mention especially with your chronic illness. Um, can you walk us through a breaking point in your life? Oh yeah, <laughs> let's go, <laughs> let's go, let's get into this. It's it feels like. My last few years have been totally consumed with chronic illness and and announcing myself as an official comedian has totally come out of that. So you're catching me at like 
exactly this inflection point out of the drama. So this was well-timed, Tara. And, and yeah, so for the last few years, I've been extremely ill. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, something happened in my body and I just stopped being able to eat and digest food. Mm-hmm. And it was coming back up. It was not leaving me. It was everything just like completely shut down. And as soon as it started, I had this like spiritual awareness that this is a metaphor for my creative life. Like I knew it. I knew it immediately because I was creatively constipated. Just like I was, just like I was so physically constipated, and it, you know, in into this, I was creatively so constipated that my creative soul was dying, just like mm-hmm. my physical self started to do. And I had, I had previously been working in theater and comedy, and and two years ago, I I was sort of at the end of almost five years of just not creating anything because I was so paralyzed by fail the idea of failure. Like I had all of the success and I, I didn't know how to top it. I didn't know how to keep it going. And I was worried that the next thing I would write wasn't going to make me money the way the previous things had and like wasn't going to be as respected as the previous things had been. And... And I just, like, I just stopped slowly over time. I just mm-hmm. stopped and and fell out of love with with making, with creating art and didn't really know what I was doing. And so then, you know, suddenly my body totally broke down and it was to me like a message from the heavens being like, all right, this is... This has gone on long enough. You're literally killing your body at this point. You need to get your art back together. You know, I don't think I have found clarity. It's all of this stuff is in retrospect. In retrospect, <laughs> I can now see that I've made all of these choices that have really helped. But like, as you can hear in the moment, I'm processing so much stuff that I don't know what to do with. And... And I know that if I had heard something like it's important to find clarity in like Mm. what keeps me healthy and happy, I'd be like, well, fuck me. Like, I'm never going (laughs) to figure that out. (laughs) Like, I don't know what that is. Fair, fair. (laughs) You know? And, And there's like a lot of value in just sort of blindly and hopefully running towards something that feels like it might work out. There's this quote, gosh, Tara, I'm all over the place right now. You've really caught me in I this love it. like, like it's messy processing time of life. Yep. The, but there's this quote that really gave me a lot of comfort a couple months ago when I was deciding to like go for this career as a comedian and it's by Richard Branson, who sucks, but it's a great quote. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like talking to some business students and saying that everyone thinks that you need um, to know the direction you're going and then go in that direction. And he talks about the phrase, ready, aim, fire. And 
he says that's sort of the traditional business model that you get ready, you aim at what you want, and then you go for it. And he was encouraging these students to switch it to ready, fire, aim. Get ready, do the training, learn something, and then just start firing. Just start running in all the directions you can, and you will find an aim through that. I think for someone like me, that was really helpful to hear because I get so paralyzed by fear and indecision and like the idea that I could be running in the wrong direction. And it was so much comfort to me to hear that sometimes running in all the directions is still the right choice and Mm -hmm. that, that I'll find something from that. I think what it is too, is just different personalities, right? Like when you were talking about, you know, kind of firing all over the place and that finds you comfort, I'm having a panic attack over here. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's like interesting to sort of know um, what is your process of, you know, figuring something out or exploring something that, you know, lets you be open to it. So it's interesting to acknowledge yes. how different we are in trying to do the same thing. Ugh, I love that. That's That feels so juicy because I'm – I get so cautious around all kinds of advice because all kinds of advice are useful for some people and incredibly unuseful for other people. And this is such a good example. As you were letting go of these pieces, um, of your artistic self, uh, was it coupled with like an anxiety, a depression, like a numbness? Can you kind of speak to like what was happening as these pieces were falling away? Totally. It's, I am more depressive than anxious and, uh, you know, and officially got the diagnosis and everything. So I, I really struggle with depression a lot and I take medication for it, which is so helpful. Mm. But my depression is, is it numbing? Is like, I try and just escape the world and escape whatever I'm doing. And I become really lethargic. And so I was, it felt like that was happening. Like I was losing Mm. energy Mm. to write and to perform. Mm -hmm. And, and also like, I mean, this took years. So there was all of this sort of mental gymnastics going on of like, you know, artists go through these fallow periods. You need Mm. to, you need to take in as much as you put out. And there was so much, like I was just constantly fighting to rationalize what was happening and to like justify this state of being where I just felt like I couldn't write at all. And I think a lot of those things are true for people and it, and artists do need to go through these fallow periods and they need to consume as much as they put out for some artists and for some Mm -hmm. people like me, whose like mental health, when it deteriorates, it manifests as me stopping to produce Just getting art and writing out of me 
is it's like a health behavior. It it mm. keeps me healthy to mm. to keep getting getting art out of me. Also, you know, I'm and I mean physically like when I'm unhealthy, I I can't poop. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's it, they feel very tied mm. in my body. It's like I've got to get my art out. I've got to get my shit out. It's all got to come out. <laughs> yes, yes. You can't hold it anymore. No. And some people, and you know, some people struggle with the other the other side where they they just can't stop making and they can't slow down mm. and they can't stop pooping. And, <laughs> and I just have a different balance, mm. you know. So, so that was that was how that that sort of like descent into depression went and and like i said it happened so slowly and i was trying to rationalize the entire way down mm-hmm. and then 2 years ago my body just you know totally stopped working and it felt like a lightning bolt saying mm-hmm. this is this has gone on long enough you're literally dying here Mm. you know your creative heart has been dying and now your physical body is joining in and Mm. something really needs to change i'm such a good talker Mm. that i like i think I spun the narrative for everyone over the all of those years that everything was okay and that this was what I wanted to be doing. Mm. You know, oh mm. no, it's I love that I have this day job because it takes the pressure off of my art to make me money. I love that I am like just, you know, in this period of taking in art as opposed to making it. I think like, I I mean, I was trying to convince myself that I really believed that. And I think I did convince a lot of people, everyone Mm -hmm. around me, that I did Mm -hmm. believe that. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of the only one who knew how much I really did not believe that. And also, especially when you get really sick, people in your life tend to be, you know, concerned about your physical health. And- less excited to talk about how you just need to start writing comedy and then your body will be better. And they're much more interested in like, maybe you should go to the hospital. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. so I was basically obsessed with this idea of like my, my artistic soul and everyone else was like, you need to go to the gastroenterologist. <laughs> right. And would you say there's probably a combo there? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100%. They they both needed serious help and healing. Yeah, And I wasn't, it was like, maybe if I had realized this was happening five years prior, I could have fixed everything by just healing my artistic soul. But at that point, things had gotten dire enough that I needed a lot of doctors on mm. the case. So talk us through that. Like, finally you're at that point like you say you are dying like what is that transition period look like so i mean it was crazy it was it was such it's such an unusual experience to watch your body stop working 
you know. Mm. And I and I started getting ex- so malnourished, you know, because I mean, I literally wasn't able to eat food. And I was, you know, just physically, I was living on a liquid diet. And every meal was this like Herculean effort to just get through it. And and my brain power really started declining because that is what happens when you're just not mm. getting enough nutrition. And I had no energy at all. So what happened was I went on medical leave from my job. And at the same time, my husband got a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> and... <laughs> And this is really important, even though it seems unlikely. On his Switch, I had heard about this game Animal Crossing, and I had never played video games ever in my life. But I'd heard this game Animal Crossing was kind of interesting, and I basically had absolutely nothing to do all day other than, like, sit on the couch and waste away. And so I was, like, desperate for something to do, and I started playing Animal Crossing, and it was so captivating and I like fully immersed myself in it. And to explain to your listeners who don't know what Animal Crossing is, here's the concept. <laughs> <laughs> so you you now are the um, caretaker of a desert island and you get to industrialize it, <laughs> which is so dark but it's very cute and you you basically get to design the aesthetics the outside aesthetics of this island and then the inside all the little buildings it's all aesthetics this is like one big art project and i basically played animal crossing for eight hours a day for about six months (laughs) and you know in between doctor's visits and While that was happening, I also, for the first time, gave myself permission to completely stop creating. Now, I had not been creating, Mm -hmm. but this was the first time I I gave myself full permission. I was like, I'm, you know, I'm dying. I don't, I like finally really am totally off the hook Mm -hmm. to write art, to make anything. And simultaneously, I was like immersed in this full-time art project designing this <laughs> virtual island. And at the time, I didn't realize what was happening. But afterwards, I like, I was wondering why my artistic self felt so fulfilled. And I was like, I'm not doing anything. And then I realized that this Animal Crossing was giving me my first outlet in years to just make something, make something beautiful just for fun. And it was like, it was the feeling that I had as a kid making plays Mm -hmm. and, and writing poems and just doing it all because it was like beautiful and it felt so good to make. Right. So, that's what Animal Crossing did for me. And <laughs> I amazing. love it. I love it so much. And then I have a therapist and I'd been working with her the whole time. Mm-hmm. 
And once I sort of brought that to her, I was like, I think I'm ready to also start adding in writing. And I, we went through this unbelievably methodical process that took two years where I spent wow. a couple months just writing in my journal every day, which was terrifying. I mean, I was so like triggered by the act of writing, of being a playwright that just writing in my journal was like terrifying. Wow. And so I went through that for a couple of months. And then I started writing something creative every day, anything creative, not for public consumption. And then I learned about TikTok and I started writing one sketch to put on TikTok every day, not to show anyone, just writing it in my journal. I did a couple months of that, months. <laughs> and then I did a couple more months of filming some of those sketches. Again, there was no promise I'd ever have to show anyone. I was mm. just making them. Mm. And, you know, over two years, that's how long this took, finally I got to the point where I felt ready to put them out into the world. And I think that's how you found me was mm. I have been putting a lot of sketches and comedy content out on social media, which to the outside observer, I think just looks like any regular a uh, you know comedian putting sketches on social media but for me it's like the tail end of this epic healing journey and and it's a really important step and it's been yeah it's been really healing just to to finally get it out It's hard for me to tell where I'm at in my process in the moment. It's much easier mm. for me to look back at the debris in my wake and piece together a narrative of that. Yeah. So, so I'm not sure. Things mm. feel feel unsettled physically. I'm still kind of in a flare and and dealing with that creatively. Things. I don't know. Things feel weird right now. I'm I'm entering like the film industry which I've never worked in before. I'm dealing with this whole process of getting agents and also I don't have any friends in this city. <laughs> it it all feels kind of excruciating to be honest. And I'm trying really hard to focus on like these tiny moments of pleasure. I mean, tiny, like, wow, this matcha tastes nice or like, <laughs> yes, like, wow, I cleaned my room. That's, that's sort of where I'm at right now. Fair. Um, well, I'm excited for you though, because it feels like it's an exciting step and you're here. That's good, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I think you I'm have here. all that experience to know like things are flaring up. Yeah, exactly. And I at least have been building the tools over the last two years, both mm -hmm. physically, creatively, mentally, to deal with all of those flare ups. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, and also that's all to say, that's just sort of my internal life. You know, the mm-hmm. external markers of success are going great here. Like mm-hmm. I'm choosing between agents right now, which is really exciting. I'm doing a ton of stand-up shows. I've got I'm on awesome. a UCB house team right now. And all of that happened in two months. So it's mm-hmm. things are going, you know, the external markers of success are being met. Mm-hmm. But I don't give them as much importance as like my internal peace, health, and happiness, you know? Mm-hmm. That's wise as shit, dude. <laughs> like really you know it's yeah like, all these I'm things wise. are going on yeah <laughs> really <laughs> um so to switch gears just a little bit antonia um i want to talk about your work um with sexual violence prevention um and just yeah. walking us through um you know what kind of work were you doing and why you're so passionate about it yeah this is really one of my favorite things to talk about so before before all of this like sort of crumbling i was having this amazing career um touring a solo show called post traumatic super delightful to colleges and theaters all over the country and it was a show about sexual violence on college campuses and it used a lot of comedy really to sort of humanize what that kind of process looks like in the Title IX department? What does the process look like for the survivor? What does it look like for, you know, the accused, the perpetrator? What does it look like for the bystanders who are just sort of tangentially brought in? And that, I mean, that came out of my own history of being a survivor of sexual assault and also a history of watching other survivors deal with the college administrative process. And and it was very clear to me when I was going through it, when I was watching my friends go through it, that it was hugely problematic. And I knew that I wanted to do something on it. And eventually, once I left college and spent a good few years really digesting what had happened, then then I made this show. And there's like a real hunger for for this conversation on college campuses, especially in a way that makes students actually want to talk about it, mm-hmm. especially young men, you know, on sports teams and in frats. And um, so that was really like a, one of my big target audiences. And and I ended up, you know, along the way becoming um, really educated in sexual violence prevention and then in turn educating other people. And I um, spoke at a bunch of conferences on sexual violence prevention, the Minnesota and the Minnesota Association for the Treatment of Sexual Abusers. So that's a, a different angle, but I worked with them and they were amazing. And um, that was kind of my past life in theater. And now, now that I am coming back to, to creating again, it feels like an unfinished book that I'm coming back to 
and I'm really excited to keep making specifically comedy about this whole rape culture and process of sexual violence prevention and adjudication, especially mm-hmm. on college campuses. Yeah, it's I, I think I need one more step here because um what about comedy allows people to access this idea of sexual violence? It's such a good question because it's 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 like We've seen so much horrible um, devaluing comedy of making fun of survivors of sexual violence and especially making fun of survivors of sexual violence. So the idea of of combining comedy with this subject, I think, is really triggering for a lot of people. And the one really big obvious benefit it has is that comedy makes everything easier to talk about. Mm. You know, everyone would prefer to go to a comedy. Mm. Everyone would prefer to laugh and feel good. It's just like we just seek it out. And and it's kind of I think of it as like an enormous weapon that you can point at mm. different different subjects or maybe a weapon feels so (laughs) militaristic an enormous (laughs) spotlight that that you can use to to illuminate the things that you want to bring people's attention to so comedy is just like inherently attractive but also i think when it's targeted in the right way laughter specifically especially in a live audience laughter is so validating because it's this like unconscious physical response to recognition, you know, mm-hmm. and especially survivors who are so unvalidated, not validated. Is there a word that combines those two that is it invalidated? Use a lot? Invalidated. That sounds right. Mm-hmm. Survivors who are so invalidated by by the public discourse, it's so powerful to be in a big theater of people laughing in recognition of your experience. Mm -hmm. And I focus a lot in this work on our expectations on the perfect survivor. You know, this needs that we, we sort of have this expectation. It needs to be someone who we trust on everything, someone who is like worthy of our respect, someone who, um, you know, is trustworthiness is big. So like they, they need to have the education level that we believe that they are trustworthy enough to actually like speak accurately about their experience. And a lot of my work really dives into this critique of our expectations of the perfect survivor and so when you when you can be in an audience who are all laughing in recognition Mm. of that it's really validating i think antonia i would love to hear from you um you know, if you were to look back on this Antonia who hadn't gone through that, you know, five years of letting her art go and, um, you know, illness, um, and you're looking at that younger self, um, what would you say to her? 
Okay. So I, when you initially um, told me about this question, I think it was something like your 18-year-old self. Mm-hmm. And, and that's who I've really been visualizing with this. Yep. I mean, my 18-year-old... My 18-year-old self, like, was absolutely consumed by this worry that I wasn't hot. Hmm. And I mean consumed. Like, everything I did was like, am I physically hot enough? Or is my talent hot enough? Like, am I... And to me, like, hotness and sexiness and beauty was really equivalent to just worth as Mm -hmm. a human being, you know? Yep. Mm -hmm. So, and, and what I think is like so delightful is that I look and act very similar now at 31 <laughs> as I did when I was 18. I mean, my clothing hasn't changed that much. I like really don't look very different. And yet I have discovered how like what a freaking hottie I am. And and that's been also through like the process of having a long-term relationship where I feel like celebrated and adored all the time. And it has released that worry of like, am I worthy enough to be desired? Mm. And and I would just love her to see me now so that she could see like, oh my God, like you're not even shaving your legs anymore and you feel <laughs> so hot like you're still just as sweaty as i am and you feel so hot <laughs> oh yeah like yeah. i just i just want her to see the possibility that n- maybe nothing changes on the outside but internally there's this enormous capacity for change and like you know, self-adoration and celebration. That's Mm -hmm. what I really want her to see, that there is that possibility because I'm hoping that it would shave a couple years off of getting there if she realized Uh that we would eventually get there. amazing Antonia I'm so excited that you got came on and before we go I would love for you to speak to us about what let perfect burn means for you oh yeah okay I've been thinking about this all week so <laughs> it's at first I was really tangled up in the idea and I couldn't figure out why because I really love this idea of um like acknowledging that perfection like can like might not even exist and and that's the thing let perfect burn was really fucking me up because the phrase itself to me when i first hear it feels like it's implying that there is perfect right like, that there is a perfect that can burn mm 
And that's what I was getting so stuck on because I think I feel so much comfort as as someone who has perfectionist tendencies, I I combat those with this like warm and fuzzy feeling that perfect will never exist. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, how can I burn something that doesn't exist? I was getting <laughs> very tangled up in this. So so I'm not I was I'm not sure what it means to you when you wrote that that title, but I've been able to meditate on it all week and just be delighted by this idea of perfect not even existing, that whatever we're burning was never perfect to begin with. And so it doesn't matter if we burn it all down because it was never perfect and whatever we build out of it is not going to be perfect. And we don't have to be so precious about these things that are never going to be perfect. Thank you, Antonia. Um, Thanks, I, Tara. I, I'm so excited you were on. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and definitely, um, I can't wait to see what you do and what you create out in this new space. And it's exciting to watch you. Thanks. Me too. I wonder <laughs> what I'm going to do out here. I'm <laughs> I'm very excited to be a little comedian officially out in the world. I love it. Well, you take care and we'll be in touch. Thank you so much, Antonia. Thanks, Tara. Let's